Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us. Uh, it's always fun to, to come up here after we sing such uh, powerful truths, so thank you, thank you for that. Uh, good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're in week two of a series called All In. And the idea of this series is that we're looking at the New Testament book of Acts and, and jumping out of this, this great summary statement of what the community life of the Christian church was like at its earliest days. And from its earliest days, we see that they are committed to some very specific things. Everyone, all together, invested, committed, and, and, and they're moving towards a certain direction because of this. So with that in mind, we, we've looked at 2020, we've looked at the horizon, and we're going, who are we going to become? Are we going to become the church that, that God's best is on, that, that we're pursuing after him in such a way where that would be true of us? Who are we going to become over this year, over this decade? And as we look at these things, following the events of Jesus' life, his, his coming to die on a cross for the sins of the world, his rising from the dead miraculously, defeating death and ascending to heaven, sending his, his power and the Holy Spirit to live in his people from that moment, this is what is then recorded. And it's from here that we pick up week two of, of our study of this. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter two, and we're going to look at this summary statement again. This is our series passage from verses 42 to 47. So let me begin by reading that for us. And it says, they devoted themselves, the first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Join me as we, as we pause to pray one more time and ask that God would use this time uh, to benefit us as a church, but also for us to, to, to catch a glimpse as, as individuals in this community of what he might be challenging us to pursue and, and motivating us and giving us new light afresh this year to, to strive after in his grace and in his power. So Father, we, we give you this time and we are so grateful for this time. Grateful that we have your word that we can look at. We have your spirit who is guiding us into truth this morning. And I pray that that would happen for us. I would be more grateful, more appreciative of who you are, of what you've done, and that I would shape who we are and what we do as a result of our time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, with it being 2020, I was looking back over the 2000s, and I am old enough to have remembered the start of the 2000s, and there's a lot of things as I was looking at this that I realized, you know, we've come a long way in just this 20 years. There are things that used to be part of our way of life that aren't part of our way of life anymore, and I actually am glad for that. I don't miss certain things about the early 2000s in comparison to now. For example, I do not miss using paper maps anymore. 
And I know some of you are still using them. You need to know you don't have to anymore. And uh, that's the good news for this morning. But look, look, this is, this is, this is what it was like before. You know, you, you'd get into your car, and if you didn't know where you were going, and if you didn't have directions, you didn't know the street names, you didn't know where to turn off, you didn't know where, where the highways went and all that and what they connected up to, you would use a paper map. And in our family car, you know, you'd pull it out of the glove box, and, and what would end up happening is you'd have to unfold it from its neatly small package, and it would end up, like, taking up the whole windshield, right? So it's like, you know, you're opening it all up, and, you know, your wife's got it hanging out one side of the window, and you're, like, trying to figure out where to go. And, and for some reason, you know, you always, every, anytime you needed information, it was always at the, like, the center of all the folds. So you'd open it all the way up and then, like, realize, okay, now here's where we are going. And then you'd have to, like, memorize that so you knew exactly where to go because you didn't want to keep the whole thing open the whole time. That was just inconvenient. And, and, you know, once you got all that information, I don't even know how we did this often, but you'd also have to then figure out how did we fold this thing back up the way it was to fit it back even into this thing, you know. And so, you know, your wife throws out in the window and you litter and you drive away and that's just what, what ends up happening. Like, I don't miss those days. I like that I can use Google Maps and, and, and just go with that in a very easy way. I, I, but, it, but there was a time not that long ago where that wasn't the case. Another thing I do not miss because of advances in technology and something that I really love about technology is Bluetooth technology. So I can get into my car uh, and not only have the convenience of not paper maps to navigate, I can also now get into my car and not have to use wires and cables and plug certain things in to fill the dead air in my car with podcasts or songs or whatever it is. And when I first started driving, I, I you know, I lived in rural Alberta and, you know, I wanted to go see friends or family. I'd often have to drive distances of greater than half an hour. And so because I didn't want to just be alone with my thoughts, like a weirdo, um, I wanted to fill that time, right? And so, you know, I, we're, we're, I, I would get into my car, and because Bluetooth wasn't invented and I wasn't uh, a loser enough to use tapes and I didn't want to use CDs, I wanted to use my portable music device, which wasn't a smart, uh, you know, any, it wasn't smart at all. It was just MP3, right? It was just an MP3 player. And what I had to do, though, and, and this, this was the advance in technology, I could plug this device into another device, and that device would broadcast the signal from my mp3 player to a particular fm and my car could tune to it and i could hear it right and so you know i i, I set up you know it takes like this whole process at the start though so you know okay does 98.1 work and i'm like trying to play my song tune it on the radio okay no that's another radio station that's not going to work okay 98.3 yeah it's still bit crackly, 98.5. Oh, another radio station, great. Okay, you know, we're just going to scroll all the way into the, like, the hundreds now, and, you know, you'd eventually find a, one that worked for you, and you could drive, and it, and it would be great uh, until, you know, half an hour down the road, and you run into some more interference. It's like, okay, well, now we got to, like, find another FM and, and, and get to another place, and then, you know, use that one to get the clear signal. Like, I do not miss that. I like that I don't have to use cables. I like that I don't have to, like, kind of dial it all in and, and, and figure all that out and just listen the way I can listen now. But it wasn't always that way. It wasn't even that long ago that I had to do that. And some of you are learning, like, I don't have to use cables anymore. Yes, there is good news for you, and we will like to, you know, pray for you at the end of the service so you figure that out. But in it, why tell you all this? Because when I think about tuning in to get a clear signal and all the parallels of that technology with the church, I think about this in context of what are we tuning into? Like, what is it that we give our attention to? What is it that we're invested in shaping us? Because make no mistake, all of us right now are shaped by something or a collection of things, right? For better or worse, they're, they're helping us, you know, form our beliefs. They're helping us to give us a set of values and principles and, and things to interpret reality for us, right? It's, it's what shapes our world view. We are tuning into something that is doing that for us. 
But what about us as Christians? Is there something to that degree? And I like the word frequency because it not only refers to, you know, where exactly are we shifting or tuning towards a specific source, but it also could mean how often are we tuning in to a specific source. So in other words, for us as Christians, if we're going to be a church that is closer to the church in Acts, if we're going to be a church that's got really God's best for right now in 2020, for his glory, for our good, what exactly is it that we should be tuning into and how often should we be tuning into it, right? And to help us figure that out, we've, we've got this, this statement from Acts. So look again at, at Acts chapter 2. And we're just going to spend a little time on a short phrase here this morning, but it's a short phrase that is full of potential and meaning for us here in today's day and age in our city, in our time. Look at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Remember, the, the idea of them devoting themselves to this is there's a, there's a continuous faithfulness, like a steady persistence that so they are invested in this to a very strong degree. And at the start, it's the apostles' teaching. So bear with me for a moment. We're going to do a little uh, quick recap of, of what exactly does this mean. Who are the apostles? What are they teaching? What's this about? The apostles are this core group of 12 guys at the start. They're the ones who do life with Jesus. They know him best. They're, they're seeing him work and move and teach, and, and, and they live life with him. Tragically, one of them betrays him, so they're left with 11. And at the start, they're this very bewildered, confused group of people that, that don't know what to do when Jesus dies. They're scared, they're frightened, they're in a, they're in a place that's hostile to, the, to their belief set that from going any further. And yet, that's not what happens. They claim that Jesus rises from the dead. They start witnessing about this in the same city where all of this took place, and things begin to shape and transform from there. And so then what then are they teaching? What are they teaching? Well, you can scroll back through... The, the life and times of Jesus, you can scroll back into the, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke. In particular, I like what, where we see the continuity between the end of Matthew's gospel and here in Acts. So see in, in Matthew 28 what it says. Jesus has, has risen from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven. And, and here's, here's what we're told. Right before that happens, they, they arrive, they, they, they see Jesus, they, they worship him. Some doubted. There's, there's an honest statement about what's going on there. But Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this teaching is very close, very centered around the person of Jesus. What he did, who he was, what he taught and instructed his people to do. And it wasn't just stuff to listen to, it was stuff to act upon. Because he's saying, look, teaching them to do what? Teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey, teaching them to be devoted in a way where it's not just knowing stuff, it's also acting on certain things. And all of this centers around him and his person. Look at, look at how the story goes in Acts itself. You know, you get to chapter uh, 2, and, and they're devoting themselves to this. You get to chapter 4, and we start to read certain things like we see in verses 2 to 4. It says that they were speaking to the people. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So people from other belief sets, different starting points uh, in this culture. And it says they're greatly annoyed because they're teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And it turns out that they get arrested and they get put in custody. And, but, but it says in verse 4, many of those who heard this word believed. 
the number of men came to about 5,000. So we go from a small group to a large group. Why? A, because Jesus has poured out his spirit to empower them to be with them, but also then to give them a message of witness by which people can then put their trust in this same Jesus who is risen from the dead. You can go one, one more place we'll look at in, in Acts chapter 5, just a little bit further on in the story. Acts chapter 5, verses 38 uh, and following. Uh, there, there's a group of people that are trying to figure out, what do we do with these apostles? What do we do with these followers of, of this Jesus? They're claiming he rose from the dead. We, we don't like this. It's pressing up against our, our, our comfort. It's pressing up against the, the, the setup we have in our government, in our religion. What do we do with this? And, and, and so one of the leaders says to, to this group of people as they're debating about this, look, in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For, the, for this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. And we could do a whole talk on the fact that it should have failed unless this is true, but let's keep going. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the apostles, they leave the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. But what do they do? They don't stop. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they didn't stop teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They don't stop telling people, look, there is rescue to be had. A rescuer has arrived. They don't stop telling people, look, there is a Savior that has come from God. The Son of God himself come to live among us, die to bring us back to God. Look, he has come back from the dead and he now offers you new life. You can enter into this with his power, with his grace, and it's freely offered to you. And it's a finished work you can step into. They don't stop preaching this. And this thing becomes from something really small and confusing to something really powerful to the point where we today are now still teaching and preaching the same thing and still baptizing people as Jesus instructed. And that's amazing. And it goes just from, you know, uh, the, the apostles teaching and the things that, they, that they're sharing uh, to, to share their faith, to, to evangelize and, and build up the church. It moves beyond that. And then the, these, these, these familiar sayings and creeds get formed. You know, stuff like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can read these summary statements that seem to be very common about here's what we believe and here's a short way to remember it and, and, and bring it to, to your world, to your realm, to your family, to your friends. And then eventually, you know, they start, these, these apostles, these eyewitnesses, they begin writing and writing to other churches. And they, these things become known as scripture itself, just like the Old Testament, just like Jesus affirmed. And now it's like, wow, now God is moving in a new way. New writings are being captured. New writings seem to have authority. New writings seem to, to, to bring together all of this, this, this continuity from the Old Testament, still talking about Jesus now in this new era. And now we get to the point where we've got 66 books in, in one book, our Bible, that we believe is the infallible word of God for our faith and for our practice today. It's recognized early on as authoritative. It's recognized early on as having a consistency and a co coherence with theology. And it speaks into our world. It is now an option for us to tune into. And we're tuning into something so what are we going to choose to tune into and how often are we going to choose to tune into it? Because all these things that we could tune into, look, they're, they're, they're going to give us something and some of the things they're going to give us is the answer of, you know, why are we here? How did we get here? 
What's right? What's wrong? Where are we going? What happens after we die? All of these things. And what the Bible will come in and say is there is something that, that we have to say about this, that there's a God who created the universe, who loves us, and now offers us life in himself. And it's consistent from start to finish. 66 books that tell one story, and they devote themselves early to it, and we today are still devoted, invested, continuously trying to be faithful students and teachers of this. But why would we want to do that? Because I think, I think we've, we are a bit familiar with this. You probably, as we, as we start out, you're going, okay, Jesse's going to talk about the Bible. That's, that seems pretty obvious. And likely he's going to talk about the fact that we should spend more time in it. You're not wrong. But why? But why? Well, let me give us a couple things and, and, and see where we go from there. In Psalm 119, for example, we read this about the words of God. In Psalm 19, there's a ton of things that are said, but, but look at this from verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's something about this world that is dark, confusing. There's something about this world where it's got a lot of different messages about where you should go, what you should do, how you should live, who you actually are. And God's word will come in and say, hey, we actually have some light to shed on this and we can give you direction, we can give you guidance from the very voice of God himself. Pay attention to this. And odds are, if you're living right now with some sort of destruction or emptiness, that is likely because there is some sort of disconnect between those circumstances or your thoughts or your attitudes or your actions, some sort of disconnect between those things and these words. It's a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. But it's more than that. As we see from Jesus' words in, in John chapter 8, he's talking to, to a bunch of people about himself and, and continuing to teach and here's what he says to the Jews who had believed him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it's a light for our path, but it also becomes a distinguishing mark of us as a people. He's saying, if you really stay in this, if you really remain in my teaching, that's going to show you're really following me. You really are my people. So not only is there this concept of this is a light for our path, it is also like a label for us as Christians to show who we are and what we're about. But I'm not convinced that for most of us in this room that those two things are new information. You could have probably guessed we were going to talk about those things. Yes, God's word, God's word gives us direction. Yes, God's word does mark us as his people, and when we follow it, that's why we read the Bible uh, on Sunday. That's why we teach it. That's why we have small groups and, and threes and fours groups and why, why we should spend time on our own, because it, it does those things. But up until this point, and what we've all talked about, do you realize that every other faith system, every other worldview, all these other religions would use the same two principles about their holy book? Look, you want to know where to go in life? You want to know what life is about? You want to know what to do? Look, we got direction for you. Look, you want to be distinguished as part of us? You want to be distinguished as part of our faith? Well, look, if you, if you pledge yourself to these teachings, if you attach yourself to this way uh, of what we've written and what we, what we believe is our source, if you tune into this, this will mark you as one of us. Every other place does that. So is that enough for us to go, okay, well, yes, ours, you know, we're going to invest in that too. Is there something more than just these two things as important as these two things very much are? And for this morning, I think there is. 
And as I wrestled through the different versions of how we could talk about this this morning and, and the different pathways we could go, I thought, you know, okay, well, we could talk about the fact that it seems like research is showing that us as Christians who claim to follow Jesus, who claim to know him and, 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 and would label ourselves that way, it seems like we are increasingly less aware of what is in our Bible. It seems like the research is showing that that biblical illiteracy, if you want to use that term, is on the rise. So we could, have, we could have brought forth all that research. We could have brought forth the data and went, look, look what's happening to you. Look what you're doing. Stop it. We could have done that. And maybe we should have. We also could have went, okay, well, you know, not just is there research, there's also this reliability thing where, you know, we, we, we have a, a book we can trust. Ours is more trustworthy. We could have talked about the manuscript evidence and how we're just unrivaled and the amount that there is and the amount that's really early on and the amount that, that hasn't changed and, and how it's all put together, the literature and how rich it is in its writing and all that. We could have talked about the, the fact that it predicts historical events and it seems like archaeology backs it up and nothing has ever come against it that's concrete. We could have talked about all that as well. In addition to the fact that it's a light for our path. In addition to the fact that it labels us and distinguishes us. But I think there's something even more important than all of that, as important as those things are. And it's the fact that what we have here, from day one, preserved for us under the sovereignty of God as he moved people to write things that were really his breath on this page, is we have the very words of God himself. Not just things that point us to truths or, or axioms or principles or 12 rules for life or whatever have you. We've actually got the one who is the truth speaking to us. And when he does that, things change. Several years ago, I was, I was at this, this mall, West Edmonton Mall in Alberta. It's one of the largest malls apparently in the world still. And we were there with, uh, I was there with a bunch of friends. And like every good millennial, I went to the Apple store at some point. And so I walk in there, and we're, we're checking out the devices. We're checking out, you know, all the, the latest stuff. Or, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're just doing our thing. And, and at some point along the way, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of focused on something. And my, my friend leans into me, and, and he whispers, hey, you see who that is? See who's here with us? Um. I kind of like look at, what, what do you mean? He's like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's Grant Fuhr over there. Now, if you don't know who Grant Fuhr is, um, that means you probably are, you know, you weren't around the 80s when this elite level goaltender in the NHL was winning like five Stanley Cups, widely considered one of the like top players of all time for goaltending, you know, named in like the top 100 players, the greatest players of all time. And it seems like he's in the Apple store with us. It seems like that. So, so what, what we did was, uh, we're, you know, we're at the this, this station with a computer. We just flip it open. We just start creeping him. Like, is this actually him? Okay, uh, he's like talking to the guy. I don't know. Like, he's got a mask on in this picture. That, he's wearing goalie gear. Okay, uh, let's see if we can find him on Facebook. I don't know. You know, he's kind of aged a little bit since the 80s. I'm not too so sure. Eventually, we found enough pictures of him, and he was there long enough trying to buy a phone that we had time for this. We're like, yes, this is him. This is for sure him. And I thought we were just going to leave it at that. Like, oh, that was cool. We can tell our friends later. No. My friend, way bolder than me, decides we're going to go meet him. So he walks right up and, like, like it's super awkward. He just, like, walks right up. He's like, are you Grant Fear? Like, in the middle of what they're doing, right? Like, like my friend's voice, my friend's words interrupt the whole scene, right? All the train of thought, all the calculating of the pros and cons of the cost and the color and the technology, all that. My friend's words break into that scene and go, is it you? 
And it was. It was him. And I mean, we were pretty confident from the pictures, but as soon as we started talking to him, we saw that he was wearing this championship ring and all that. You know, my friend is, is, is like is freaking out because he's even a bigger Oilers fan than I am. And, you know, we you know, we're get his autograph. Eventually, we actually even get a picture with the guy. He's that gracious to us. And, and, and there it is. We made it. We did it. Now, why, I mean, obviously, I know what you're thinking, and Jesse Wilson has aged very well, he looks like he's doing good, um, but beyond that, all of us, all of us sort of understand this, right? Like, we, we see somebody important, we see somebody famous, see somebody who's done something of value that is widely recognized, we want to get in on a part of that person's story. We want to get close to them, we want to feel connected to them, even just for a moment, so we've got something for our Instagram or for a nice, you know, picture to show our church family someday, right? Like, we, we want that because we want to feel connected to something significant, and that's what ended up happening for us there. But think of the, think of the story played a different way. Think of this scene went in a dif- different direction. Say my friends and I, we show up there, and, you know, we, we, we arrive at the iPads, and, you know, we're kind of scrolling, you know, checking them out, feeling them, and we're really kind of, you know, discussing, okay, is this the right size of one we want? Does this one have the display, the features, and all that? Can we afford this? And say we're just really glued in, and then all of a sudden, a voice all of a sudden, words. All of a sudden, this speech cuts into my train of thought, into my moment, and it's, are you Jesse Wilson? And I look up, and it's Grant Fear. Like, wouldn't that have been strange? That would have been very odd. Like, what? Like, who, how do you know... How do you know me? <laughs> like, what, like what, what have I done? I haven't done anything. I haven't won, you know, five Stanley Cups. I haven't done really anything of public significance. I haven't, you know, people don't know me. People don't know my name. They don't know what I look like. How, how is it that you, somebody so important, is breaking into this moment with your words, with your voice right now coming, and, and now you're asking me for my autograph, and you want to take a picture with me? That, that would just be so strange, right? But think about our God. Think about his words and realize, look, the one who is the most important, considers you important. The most important being in the universe sees us, notices us, values us, loves us, and is breaking into your life and mine with speech that is available, words that are available, that can interrupt the flow of your life for the better. Because more than direction, God is seeking connection. And so are are we? Are we doing that? Are we tuned into this? How often are we tuned into it? If we want to feel that sense of connection with something significant, with someone significant, we need to realize the opportunity that is on the table for us as people and as a church. That the God of the universe, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, can be known can be experienced, can be encountered in a relationship where he speaks. And one of the main ways he speaks is through his very words. Could you imagine if we were a church and had the kind of hunger that we see in Matthew chapter 4? Where we really take on this identity of like, wow, we cannot live by bread alone, but we can only live by every word that comes from the mouth of our God. Could you imagine if we had that kind of hunger? Could you imagine 
If like the disciples, when, when, when Jesus is there and he's teaching and, and people are seeing his signs and wonders and, and have this confusion and start to abandon him because things are, are challenging, things he's telling truth, he is full of grace at the same time. But man, it seems like there's a cost to following him and all that surrounds it. Can you imagine if like in John 6, when Jesus asks his followers, hey, look, I see people are leaving. Are you going to leave too? Could you imagine if our posture was, Lord, where else are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. You don't just have nice sayings and nice stories that contain truths. You claim to be the truth. You claim to be the life. You claim to want connection with me, and as you're the most important person in this universe, how is it that we could choose anything other than this? To devote our focus, to devote our attention, to tune ourselves into as a people. Could you imagine what would happen if that was us? If that was you? Could we be that all in when it comes to being students of this word, hearers of the voice of God, breaking into our story with his. I know for me, I I would love to be a part of that. I know for me, I would love to be that more individually. And I think as as I've wrestled through through this, there are four realizations I've I've come to need to understand if I am actually going to be this. And I think they're realizations that will be helpful for us as a church as well. If we are going to put ourselves in a position to be all in, to tuning in frequently to the voice of God, to the word of God. The first realization is this. Agreement is not application. Because look, I, at my home right now, I have a refrigerator, and inside it, for the last year, there has been no working light bulb. So, you know, I open it up, darkness, right? And I'm like, I'm reaching around, I know there's hot sauce in the back somewhere, and I know this would be easier if there was light, but you know, I, I'm just going to just go through this right now and just do this, because this is just what's been done. And although I tell myself, and I know my wife tells me, hey, we should change that, we should fix that, we should get a new light bulb, Simply agreeing for the past year has not done anything, right? It's until agreement meets action that application happens. You know this. You agree with your dentist that flossing is good. (laughs) You agree with your doctor that you should exercise more. You agree with your financial planner that you should probably budget better. But if we transfer that type of limitation to the Word of God, to us as the church of God then we're only going to ever leave his voice at the agreement level, and that's going to limit our potential, limit our experience, limit our encounter with the one who wants to connect with us, know us, and lead us. So agreement is not application. Think of how many times you've showed up and listened to what you've listened to in here or at your small group, whoever went, yeah, I agree with that. And then nothing happened. We need to realize this if we're going to become a church that's more in, more devoted to the teaching of the Word of God, to being students of the Word of God. But there's a second realization. And the second realization is that hard truth is still truth. I think this is, this is a difficult one for us sometimes because we live in a day and age where if things are unpopular, we want to avoid that. We want to be kind of with, you know, the consensus on things. But if we're going to be really listening 
to the word of God, obeying his voice, valuing his voice enough as we encounter the words of the one who is truth, who is life, then we're going to have to accept the fact that there will be times where hard truth comes across to us. Because look, this book is not primarily, not primarily going to always meet your every emotional need. There are going to be times where there is challenging things spoken to us. True things, good things. And if our question when we approach, you know, a a sermon, if our question when we approach the text and and we walk away, if the first thing we ask ourselves is, did I like that? That's not the right question. The question shouldn't be, did I like that? How did I feel? The question should be, was that true? Because hard truth is still truth. And if we really take this, if we really onboard this into our lives, it means that sometimes we're going to do things that are not always popular. You're going to say things that aren't popular in your, in your classroom. You're going to believe things that aren't popular at your workplace. You're going to spend your money in a way that's not popular. But guess what? It'll be right. It'll be right because hard truth is still truth. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to dress a three-year-old recently, but that can be a tough thing to do. I, I was thinking yesterday, for example, I'm putting my, my kid's clothes on, and, you know, we're trying to kind of get somewhere. He can do a lot of it on his own, but he needs some help at times. And he's starting to request, hey, I would really a- appreciate this particular item today. C- could you get it for me? And what I realized as I looked around and we're kind of making things happen, we're a little bit late, so, you know, we're trying to move things along. I'm like, oh, hey, buddy, you know, uh, those, it's, it's, it's dirty. Uh, it's in the laundry. The laundry hasn't been done yet. Uh, you'll have to wait till it's ready. Looks at me. Dad, it's ready. No, no, like, 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 buddy, you see it's not here right now. Like, it's, it's in the other room because that's where the dirty clothes are and it's just, it's just waiting. No, dad, it's ready. And, free, and as we go, you know, we're making progress on other items, but he's still bringing it up. Like, like, dad, it's ready. Dad, it's ready. Dad, go get it. I need it. Dad, go get it. Like, it's, it's, it's ready. Go, go for it. I'm like, buddy, look, the, the fact that you don't like that it's dirty does not make it clean. <laughs> right? Because hard truth is still truth, and we're going to have to realize this if we're really going to go further with our investment with the Word of God and encounter Him in these pages for all it's worth. Because if we're we're only going for the easy truth, look, we're going to leave a large portion of this book left untouched and unread. And that would be an unwise thing to do. It would limit us as individuals and it would limit us as a church. And a third realization coming out of this is that God's purposes are more important than my priorities, which for me is probably the most challenging realization because there are things that I want now (laughs) to happen in my life. And oftentimes, you know, I'll I'll come to a room like this and I'll listen to somebody else teach or, you know, I'll I'll show up to, to, you know, some small group where, where, you know, devotional is being given or, you know, maybe I even come on my own, just myself and, and the Bible and I sit down and it's like my life is like a puzzle, but there's this, this missing piece that I I want filled. And so I approach that sermon, I approach that text, I approach that moment going, look, this had better be the piece that fits in right now. Because if it's not, then I got nothing out of this today. It's a better fit with what I'm looking for, because otherwise, like, I I don't know, I don't know if God had anything for me that day, and instead of tuning in, I'm going to start to tune out the more I do that. If we're always approaching the text, if we're always approaching God himself, going, God, I've got this empty space And the only thing I'm looking for right now is for you to to fill it. We might be missing something more important he wants to tell us. Because look, life wasn't easy for the the church in Acts. There are things that they were told to do that that cost them. Some of them die. 
But God's purpose has always proved to be more important than our priorities. And it's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he doesn't love us. It's not that he doesn't have stuff for us that does meet those empty pieces from time to time. But if that is our only strategy, if you only ever come into this room for the next several weeks, for this year, for however long you are here, and are always looking for that puzzle piece to be filled, you are going to be disappointed. Not just in the church, but I'm, a, I'm scared you're going to be disappointed in God. Because you're only going to be looking for what, what fits your personal individual need at that moment and, and might shut out everything else that God might be wanting to say to you. Like this time where I was having, a, I was just feeling aggravated one week, really frustrated with what was going on. I'm going, okay, uh, I, 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 want, I just want peace. I want joy or I want whatever I want. And then the text turns out to be, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Well, I could tune out and go, okay, well, that's, that's for somebody else this morning. Thanks for sharing that. Or I could go, how many people should I be praying for right now? And are they actually the source of my aggravation and frustration? And I'm going to act on this, not just agree with it. Okay, Lord, I'm going to try this. I'm going to pray this. And I'm going to pe- have people in mind. I'm going to work through this list. And wow, all of a sudden the dynamic has changed because the one who is with me, who is the most important being in the universe, who has something to say, has a relationship, has life, has truth for me, has actually changed something because I listened to him. And not just expected him to fill that puzzle piece that I'm, I'm seeking. And sometimes when this happens, what this allows us to do is to choose what God wants most over what I want right now. Could we be the church that does that? Could we be the church that gets before this word and goes, wow, God, you are speaking something to me right now. It is not what I want in this moment, but it is what you want most. And I know that by doing it, I enter this fourth realization. And that fourth one is that this is worth it. Because of who you are, because of what I know, because of what I see in the story. As people obey over and over and act as they encounter you, as they come to know you and follow you. They're not just loving the guidance, they're loving the guide. They're not just loving the label of Christianity, they're loving the Lord of Christianity. I am seeing that it is more worth choosing what you want most versus what I want now. And I'm going to enter into that knowing that I can't just agree. Knowing that this might be hard, but it's still truth. Knowing that what he's got is always better than what I got and what I want. Could we be that church? Could we be those people that realize there is a God we can know who wants to speak to us, who wants to walk with us, give us life. Could we tune into his voice and could we tune into it more frequently this year? I hope so. And I'm going to pray that we do. Lord, I ask that as we walk out of here today that we would have a fresh gratitude for the fact that you see us as worthwhile pursuits out of your love, out of your grace, and that you want to say things to us that will take us further than we ever thought possible. Places maybe we didn't expect, places that maybe are uncomfortable in the moment, but will be for our good and will be for your glory. And that really is what we want. If we want to be an all-in church, help us to capture that, help us to be that. And thank you that we can be because of what you've given us. Amen.